Here we are again in episode three. Where we left off, it was New Year's Eve. Now we start at the beginning of a new year, which was the year of the new me. It's 2017, January 1st. Yesterday, he kept grabbing me inappropriately when he knows I don't like it. Each time, I told him not to and said I didn't like it. The response was always, I don't care, or no, I like it. I like the rush. Then, when sex happens, my wishes are never respected, and it doesn't surprise me. It still makes me feel used and gross. So, yesterday, he failed once again by not respecting my wishes to not finish in me because I hate it. He claimed he didn't, but I'm not stupid. You can always tell. It just reminded me of last year when he held me down and did it. When I asked him why, he said with a smirk on his face, because I knew you didn't want me to. Last night and today, he kept repeating that I was just dead fishing it yesterday, and he kept wanting more. He asked why I'm not attracted to him, since he said he can tell. So, once again, I'm getting blamed for everything. I know it's not my fault, but it's frustrating that no matter what, the other person will forever be blind to their actions. I feel so disgusted and violated. I'm trying to keep myself in a different room, and he's not liking that. He wants me right by him, to cuddle him. And I don't want to be by him. Tonight, he called me an emotional leech and said I'm not empathetic. Right after, he went back to calling me a dead fish and said, the key to keeping a man happy is to make him feel attractive and to keep his balls dry. It's about a week between my next entry. January 8th, he was saying he wanted control of the relationship and that he needs a completely submissive woman. He said he can't connect with people and never has been able to. He said he can't help his anger or control it, but is unwilling to change it. He admitted to coming in me on purpose, even when he knows I don't like it and lied about it. He said he has severe anxiety, but doesn't want help for it. He said he's always had a hard time trusting people. My next entry is about a week and a half after that. He was driving erratically that day, calling me a bitch, and was on edge in general. The day after that, he was throwing things around the house and kicking stuff over. That weekend, I wrote, he wants to go do stuff today, and we have to go exactly when he wants to go. I saw him deleting a sexting app from his phone, and he's still denying it. He keeps saying he wants intimacy, yet he also literally says he doesn't care about me or what I want and that he hates me at the same time. He can't even do something as simple as give me the remote. He said, why? <laughs> I'm controlling it. He came into the room I'm in, asking when I'm going to go get ready. When I didn't reply immediately, he closed my laptop on me and shoved it off where it was sitting so it fell to the floor. Then he asked again, 
I sat in silence and didn't look at him. He then said that I was acting like a toddler. A few moments later, he came back and asked again, also saying he didn't mean to touch my laptop. I said I wanted to go later. He said no, and that he was leaving once he's done playing video games, so I'd better get ready. Then one of the cats meowed at him, and he said, I know, mom's fucking crazy. A few days later, it was about time for him to leave. And so I started to clean the house of his alcoholic bottles. In total, I gathered four 30-gallon bags full of alcohol bottles from his drinking. The day after that, February 5th, he woke up and decided we'd be leaving the house 10 minutes later. Obviously, I wasn't ready. He was going to pick something up from a sewing shop. When I wasn't ready, he said, fine, I'm leaving without you. I ran his receipt for the order out to him and his wallet, for which he said not to talk to him for the rest of the day. Then I get texts saying, you would think you would want to do what I wanted since I'm leaving, but you're selfish. You'd also think you would touch and fuck me too. I don't want to touch him or anything for obvious reasons. When he got home, he kept berating me. I wasn't allowed to say anything to defend myself. He just kept shooing me away. He said he's not nice to me because I won't touch him. A few days after that, he left for a few months. But the journey doesn't stop here. The day he left was the day I knew that he could never physically touch me again. I knew that he could never call me a bitch or a cunt to my face ever again. I knew that I was physically free, but I still had a long journey ahead of me. About a week before my birthday... I advocated for myself, and every year I was with him, I always got checked for STIs because he would talk to other women inappropriately. He even solicited prostitutes off Craigslist. So I had to advocate for myself to try and protect myself. Well, about a week before my birthday, I got a call from my doctor and my doctor confirmed that he definitely had cheated in the worst way because, unfortunately, I had contracted an STI. As embarrassing as that is to talk about, unfortunately, that is extremely common. Um, luckily for me, my doctor ended up giving me a hug because it was the easiest one to get rid of. I don't know that I've ever felt so low in that moment. I was at work on my lunch break when I got the call. I could not stop bawling even after my lunch was over. But then that's how I actually made one of my best friends to this very day. I'd barely known her. I'd really only communicated with her maybe about a week at that point. 
I just couldn't quit bawling, though. I felt so dirty, so used, so disgusting and betrayed. And so I went back up to try and continue to work. She saw how upset I was. She's like, hey, do you need to step out into the hall? And I did. And I just broke down and I told her everything. I told her my plans, that I was leaving him, how long I had been planning to leave him, and how I felt so horrible about it. Because it felt deceitful to me, but I had to do that to keep myself safe. And he may be thousands of miles away, but I still have to talk to him. Because I don't want to let on. After all the threats of him sending people there, like my soon-to-be ex-in-laws there, to oversee everything, when it's not their place, and it's not their right. And that's just more ways to control me. I was leaving on my terms. That is how I started to take my power back. And so thanks to that best friend, in that very moment, us becoming best friends, I don't know what I would have done without her. She is absolutely incredible, and I'm still grateful to this day. So back to my journal log. That day I found out I was terrified because I was scared of him trying to turn that around on me when I knew I hadn't been with anyone else, hadn't even looked at anyone else or talked to anyone else. Like, that is not me. I was so upset, and I wanted to confront him so bad because that was the confirmation that he had physically cheated. So I texted him. All I said was, you really did cheat in the worst way. His response was bye. IDC, as in bye. I don't care. The next day, I called and told him specifically about it, and he still denied cheating even though I haven't been and wouldn't ever be with somebody else while in a relationship or married. He was claiming that it could have been dormant or that it was a false positive. Yet he refuses to go get tested even after saying on the phone he said he would. Then he changed his mind. Later he said there were um, a doctor that just gave him medicine as a precaution. But there were multiple calls from a doctor about a month and a half before he left. And thinking back too, there were signs like he said it peed when he, or it hurt when he peed and things like that. So my conclusion is that he knew and he didn't care to tell me. Had I not advocated for myself every single year during a routine pap smear, I never would have known. I don't know how low someone can be to do that, but that's really the lowest of lows.
and every year I was with him, I did get tested because I never knew if it was physical or not with other women because the intent was there. That I didn't really write anything down after that until about April 4th when he sent me a list of demands, basically. One was how we will research or plan on having a child when he's back. And if I didn't wish to have the child, he said, then we'd adopt or find a surrogate since he's changed his mind on wanting kids. This is the email verbatim. Titled, Marriage Expectations. Below is a list of things that I want for us in this marriage. One, I would us to listen to each other. This means taking what we both think into consideration. I expect us to address problems that we bring up and not ignore them or attempt to minimize them. We should be able to express any type of concern to each other, and this is a two-way street. No matter how uncomfortable the explanation or topic, I expect it to be talked through. We are a team, and any big decision, including finances, will be made by both of us. Two, I expect us to invest into this marriage. This means that we will take an active role in this relationship. I expect you to interact with me on more than just a surface level. I expect us to be able to share our feelings and emotions with me without having to get upset. I expect us to invest into our physical appearance and care about how we look. I want us to invest into our intimacy and to take an active roles in it. This means that you do not place guilt or shame on anything intimacy related. Three, I want us to talk about children. This means that once I return, that we will begin to research and plan having a child together. It is true that when I married you, I did not wish to have children. However, my opinions on children have changed. If you do not wish to have the child yourself, then we will find someone to carry the child for us or we will adopt. Since then, he's been accusing me of cheating because I don't want to send him dirty pics. And the Netflix account was hacked. He says I need to go to a sex therapist for my lack of intimacy and not wanting to send him dirty pictures. When I stated maybe he should go, he said, why? Because my wife won't fuck me? Later that month, he stated he wouldn't be speaking to me for a few days due to my lack of intimacy or not wanting to send him dirty pictures or responding how he'd like to his. Towards the end of that month, April 30th, he proceeded to call me five times. I didn't answer. The next day, he proceeded to call me six times. I didn't want to answer because I knew he was calling just to criticize. He said, as a wife, you're supposed to want to have sex with me. Then went on to say, when I said I was tired and wanted to go to sleep, that there's always something wrong with me, that it's all about me. When I stated he was grilling me, he said sarcastically, yes, you're just the victim in this. I ended up hanging up on him. And that was the last time I ever spoke to him again. So, 
What happened with the rest of the story? Well, the next day, I had already planned to be going to the courthouse, getting an emergency protection order, and filing for divorce, which I did. And for me, it did help that things ended so poorly. It just justified that I was doing the right thing. Because you see, domestic violence isn't black or white. It's gray. And as someone being abused, you are so broken down. You're made to feel as if you're worthless, as if nobody could ever possibly want you. Some days, not even yourself. Because someone has taken your power, they've taken your voice. They've beaten you down so badly. Maybe physically, maybe emotionally, maybe financially, maybe even religiously. These are all ways that someone can be a victim of domestic violence. I know for me, leaving was easily the hardest thing I ever had to do. And in the way that I had to do it, I felt so deceitful having to remain in contact for almost three months, trying to act like nothing was happening when behind the scenes, I had to get my apartment. I had to move. I had to separate everything. I felt like I was being so deceitful and I felt like I was lying and it sucked. But I had to do that to keep myself safe. I needed that time to sort through all of the things we had together to make sure I left nothing behind that was mine. I only took what was mine before the marriage. I didn't want it if it was his. I didn't want it if it was ours. I didn't want it if he touched it. It was contaminated at that point. I didn't want the memories attached to the stuff. After I left and was living in my own apartment, thinking back, it's like, damn, I was so strong. But I was also so, so broken three years ago. I didn't have a couch. I didn't have a bed. So I slept on the floor for a few weeks until I had my couch. So I slept on the couch. (laughs) And then finally my bed came. But it was so worth it because it was mine. And it was the start of me rebuilding my life. I hadn't worked prior to leaving So I had to get settled in my position. I had to find a place to live that was confidential and secure. I had to move. I had to separate everything. 
and I did it more than fairly. I was more than fair to someone who didn't deserve it. And some people, as I was leaving, they didn't understand that. They're like, why are you being so nice to them? Why? Because integrity. He may have taken my power. He may have taken my voice. The one thing he could never take was my integrity. No matter what someone does to you, you don't have to let them take your integrity. You don't have to stoop to their level. And when everything is said and done, you still have to live with yourself. I still had to live with myself. So I knew I had to be fair and I still had to be kind. And mind you, you're also incredibly fearful of this person. So anything you can do to lessen the blow, anything to help not be fought over in a divorce, etc. You will do what it takes when you want something so badly. And I just wanted to feel safe. I didn't want to live every single day in fear. I didn't want to feel like the person I was living with could kill me at any moment. Because that's how I felt. And I was terrified to leave beforehand. And a lot of people are like, why doesn't she leave? Why doesn't he leave? Like sooner. Why didn't I leave sooner? Because I needed to know that I could take care of myself. I needed my job. I needed to leave on my own terms. I needed to be safe about it. I needed to have some kind of control over how I left. Because I hadn't had control over anything in so long. I needed my own voice and my own power. And I had to regain that and it took time. So you may not always know the circumstances. You can always ask instead of assume or judge someone who's been through any kind of abuse. Because the truth is, is you don't really know their story. You may think you do, but the only way to really know is to ask. If they want to share, they will. And if they don't, you have to be okay with that too. So the rest of my story, it wasn't complete until about a year and a half ago, roughly. Because I was being strong, which I understand that now even though sometimes I still wish I could have been stronger or articulated my story better, such as I'm doing now. I made it through a divorce, which that was honestly the easiest part. I made it through court proceedings for protection orders, which were the second easiest part. 
the hardest part was having to testify and being on the stand off and on over the course of four days. And being on the stand with the person who abused me, sitting about seven or eight feet away from me, right off to my right side. Thankfully, I have long hair and I used it as a shield. I would part my hair to the right side of my face. Instead of tucking it behind my ear, I left it blocking my peripheral vision so that I didn't have to see him as I was talking. The jury is sitting right across from me. The judge to my immediate left. Defense and abuser to my immediate right. My prosecution team was sitting the furthest away from me. My special victim counsel was sitting even further from me. I had no one in that room. The person who abused me had their parents. They had their new wife. And I had no one in that room that I could look to for comfort. That was incredibly difficult. What's even more difficult is having to articulate your reasoning and why. Like, why didn't you leave sooner? And being judged for everything, which this is known as victim blaming. And I know now that it's a huge problem with society. And it's a huge problem with the court system. Domestic violence and sexual assault cases are unfortunately all too common. What's even more unfortunate is that it's not at all uncommon to have the trials end up the way the one I testified at did. I was in the room when two words were spoken. Those two words have haunted me since. It's gotten better, but part of that still hurts. And like anything, I've done what I can to work through it. And for the most part, I'm doing amazing. So for the next episode, what I want to talk about is... How might you even find yourself in domestic violence? Is there anything you might be doing? Or is there something missing in you? And I'm not blaming anyone for getting into domestic violence. For me, I had to dig deep. And I did discover some very real reasons as to why I was getting into bad relationships and it made sense. And the other thing I want to talk about too 
is how does one heal from this? How does one recover? What can someone do? What are the ways you can find joy in life again? What are the ways you can try and overcome the past and not let the past continue to control your future? Because then it's like someone still has that grip on you. And it's like they'll never let go. But at some point, you just have to let go. Mm-hmm.